Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. We have a deal. The Senate... Democrat, Republican, the White House, even the House side of the Congress, all in on this deal. And soon we'll have actual votes that will pass this deal. But the Senate has reached agreement on the most sweeping economic stimulus package in U.S. history. The question now, as the bill gets fast tracked, is, is it enough to dampen the economic impact of this public health crisis? Some, including the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, don't think so. The $2 trillion bill, what does it mean for New York state government? It means $3.8 billion. Uh, $3.8 billion sounds like a lot of money, but we're looking at a shortfall, revenue shortfall, of uh, $9, $10, $15 billion. That is a drop in the bucket as to need. This, as some across the country, including the president, turn their attention towards opening up the economy sooner rather than later, perhaps against the advice of some health experts. I would love to have the country opened up and uh, just raring to go by Easter. I think Easter Sunday and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. Joining me now to break down all of this and the clear healthcare system stress that is upon us due to the spread of this coronavirus, our CNN contributor and former Detroit health director, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. He's also the author of a new book out next week, Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic, and CNN contributor and New York Times contributing op-ed writer, Wajahat Ali. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, David. So let me begin with you, Dr. Syed, if I can. I don't know how much you've been talking to your medical colleagues uh, and experiencing what you're hearing from emergency rooms or other places, but all the reports that we're getting is sort of waiting, is sort of like a calm before the storm, but there's little hope that our healthcare system is actually prepared for the onslaught it's about to face. That's right. I'm hearing from my, my colleagues from medical school, uh, folks who are on the front lines right now. And, you know, frankly, already uh, many of them are are uh, stressing uh, at the ability to be able to actually deal with uh, both what's coming and what's to come. You know, we hear these numbers uh, every day, but I, I just want folks to appreciate that these are a vast underestimate of what the real burden is because uh, of the gap between um, the amount of time it takes to develop symptoms and then the amount of time it takes to get a test back and to collate all that. So we're really like eight to nine days behind. And if the doubling time of this epidemic uh, is two and a half days, what you're really looking at is the number that gets published every day times two times two times two. Um, and so that's a lot more um, than uh, than uh, we are hearing about day to day. And this is stressing our, our healthcare capacity. I wrote an article two weeks ago arguing um, that we needed to uh, bring in the military to build um, MASH style 
uh, healthcare units in every major metropolitan area to take the pressure off of the healthcare system. Um, and you know, right now we're behind on our ability to deal. It's uh, you know the whole point of flattening the curve, uh, as we all talk about, uh, was making sure that it didn't overwhelm our healthcare system. And unfortunately, we're in a position now um, we're starting to see uh, the earliest signs of that, and it, it's it's disheartening. It's hard. Um, and the folks on the front lines really are heroes right now going to work without the armor that they need to protect themselves to care for all of us. And, you know, if you've got a healthcare provider in, in your life right now, hug them a little bit tighter and thank them for the work that they're doing. Waj, I read your piece in The Atlantic. You talked to a whole slew of healthcare professionals and providers about this very uh, capacity issue. Uh, what did you l- learn in your reporting and what would you sort of describe as the status of uh, the 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 healthcare system as it's about to deal with an onslaught. DEFCON 1 systems blaring red crisis. The frontline soldiers don't have armor and weapons as they fight this war. The word frontline was used time and time again by the nearly two dozen healthcare professionals I talked to. War, crisis, um, these were the words that were that were described. And I talked to healthcare professionals, not just doctors. I think it's important because it's not just the ER doctors. It's not just the physicians. It's the nurses. It's the interns, the janitors, the people who run the machines. We have an already burdened healthcare system that is about to face a blitzkrieg in the next week or so. If you don't believe me, I just want to read you some numbers. March 1st, there were 89 reported cases in the United States, two deaths. New York had its first case on March 1st. As of this recording of this podcast, March 25th, there are now 838 deaths, 59,502 confirmed cases in the United States. New York has 30,811 confirmed cases and 285 deaths, and it's still not 5 p.m., David. And so the doctors who I talked to last week were begging me, begging me to get the word out that we need protective masks. Forget about the supplies right now. I mean, they need ventilators, they need respirators. As Abdul was saying, you know, we need to build they need hospitals, field hospitals. They need the N95 mask. And the N95 mask in particular, for those of you who don't know, is that special mask that can at least take away 95% of the bacteria. And they need that to protect themselves uh, before they see the patients. I had, I'll just give you one story. A friend of mine, emergency room doctor, and she's quoted in the piece for Khan, said that her hospital has said every single doctor can only use one mask. So they use this one mask every single day. They put the mask in their own little uh, paper bag, like you're, you know, in like school. You put a marker with your uh, name on it on the bag and you use it again and again. They're supposed to reuse the mask, David, for each new patient. And we need an estimate, a, a rough estimate that was given to me was that we need at least 300 million masks right now. People are about to run out. They've run out. And Mike Pence and others are saying, oh, we're, we're, we're getting the masks there. It's, it's going to be there. And all the doctors today have to, are, are asking me, where are the masks? Yeah. I mean, they also announced that Tim Cook of Apple, I guess, is uh, going to be uh, donating a ton of masks uh, to the stockpile as well in the millions. But uh, as you said, it, getting it done and then it being in people's hands who need to use it. And I'll just tell you, your anecdote is not a one-off. I have a really good friend. Uh, who is a doctor in Baltimore and was at a briefing uh, 10 days to two weeks ago uh, at Johns Hopkins, uh, where they were being told that they were likely going to have to reuse masks and gowns and not and that so that is not just a, a one off circumstance. Um, 
Abdul, let me, I I really do think this is first and foremost, a a public health crisis. I'm not looking to inject politics in it uh, by by coming to you with this uh, in terms of just raw politics. But there is, you know, the president has set this call now to uh, have Americans back to work raring to go by Easter. That's two and a half weeks from now. Uh, I have not yet seen a public health official say that that deadline of Easter is uh, achievable. Not that it may not be a worthy goal, but that there's no possible way to set that based on the data that currently exists. So what do you make of that, of the president setting that goal? You know, this is not uh, the beginning of the end. This is the end of the beginning. And that's what we're hearing across the board, whether it's from health workers on the front lines uh, or it's from health commissioners in our major cities or it's from leaders at the state level, as we've seen uh, from Governor Cuomo in uh, in New York and a number of others. It seems like the president keeps trying to spin biology. And the problem is that you can't spin biology. Um, You have to lead with the science here. And his own advisors, uh, you know, keep coming up right after he's done and, you know, in no uncertain terms, but, you know, trying as hard as they can not to ruffle feathers, uh, arguing that actually, no, this is, uh, this is very much not the end. Um, if we were to pull up in, uh, in, 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 in the time frame that he wants us to, um, it would be catastrophic for our ability to control this. Um, what I also want to say, right, is that the president does have something he could do right now that would be extremely productive, and that is truly and honestly activating the Defense Production Act. Um, right now, we don't have the gear that we need because uh, we are not creating this sort of one-off, well, look, Tim Cook is being a nice guy and donating. It's not going to work. We need a systematic movement of the materiel that we need to fight this war against this virus to the front lines. And that means taking America's manufacturing might, um, putting it in to the putting its shoulders in uh, to um, taking on the need to build out the ventilators, to manufacture the PPE, uh, to get swabs made so that we can finally test at scale um, to the front lines. And so uh, that's what he ought to be saying right now. He ought to be saying, I'm going to take charge and I'm going to do what needs to be done rather than saying, you know, it's all in our heads and we're going to be fine. And then the last thing I just want to say about this is COVID-19 is not the flu. And we, we, we need to stop uh, allowing him and anyone to get away with this uh, this this very problematic comparison. Number one, COVID-19 is about 10 to 20 times as deadly as the flu. Number two, it's about twofold uh, as um, infectious as the flu, which over the number of cycles that it, it moves, um, you know, because of exponential spread of viruses, uh, makes it very, very much more infectious. Number three, we don't have a vaccine. We have a vaccine for the flu. And number four, um, we don't have any natural immunity to this. This is not the flu. And um, the last point is that all of the COVID cases are coming uh, and hitting our healthcare system at the same time. That's what makes this so dangerous, as you know, Waj uh, and I and you have been talking about the, the entire podcast. And so um, this is not the flu. We, we can't just pull up now and expect that everything's going to be rosy. If we were to actually do what he wants us to do, um, it would cost a lot of lives and a lot of livelihoods. Um, the only way around this is through it. Now, I know we also haven't seen evidence yet that, uh, you know, that curve has been flattened. I mean, uh, Abdul, you and I spoke, I think, like uh, eight days ago, or uh, and you were talking about a doubling rate of, of six days. I mean, it is exponentially uh, shorter than that, uh, that we've been seeing. And so uh, I know Andrew Cuomo came out today and expressed um, some positive signs, some data points that he was able to point to that perhaps uh, there's the beginning of this uh, flattening, but we haven't seen it uh, fully yet. 
Waj, one of the things just listening to the president set that goal of Easter, obviously he's trying to be the salesman and PR guy that he is and desperately trying to um, keep the economy on course. Uh, But as many people have pointed out, you don't necessarily have to uh, choose between uh, public health needs and the economic needs as this $2 trillion bill that's going to get passed out of the Congress and signed by the president this week shows you can actually attack the economic uh, calamity that may be coming from this uh, while you are also putting public health first. Do you see this bill getting out of Washington as a hopeful sign in attacking the economic ills? It's a short term stimulus. It's not going to be enough. Uh, We will need to do more. And I agree with you is that we do not need to make a draconian hunter, like Hunger Games type of tribute where we have to like offer our elders and say, take 2% of the population so the stock market can live. Uh, you know, we don't need to do that. And there, we have to discuss politics here because this is a failure of leadership. I just want to give an example. Uh, we've been talking about flattening the curve. South Korea found out around the same time uh, uh, about uh, coronavirus as the United States of America. If you look at South Korean leadership, I just want to give one example. By the time that South Korea, a country of uh, 51 million people, uh, about 10 million more than uh, California, uh, had produced 200,000 tests. You know how many tests the United States had produced? 4,000. They were proactive, aggressive. They used, marshaled all their powers, unified. They tested, they uh, traced, they quarantined. And now if you look at the trends in the graph, South Korea is almost close to flattening the curve. Which means that the United States of America, under President Trump's leadership, has lost nearly two months. We're two months behind, guys. And if you're paying attention, we're tracking Italy's numbers. And Italy right now looks like, pardon my language, this is according to the Italians themselves, like a hellhole. It looks like a war zone. And Italy actually has a much more efficient healthcare system than our system. We're about eight days behind Italy. If you look at the, the lack of resources, this is just a failure of leadership. And I'm glad Abdul brought this up. The Defense Production Act should have been invoked by Trump weeks ago. He still refuses to do it based on some conservative ideology that says, you know, we have to trust the open markets. And allegedly, according to the Vanity Fair piece that came out yesterday, uh, CEOs told him not to do it, right? This is madness. And if you're going to reopen America, quote unquote, reopen America, uh, like what, two weeks, April 12th by Easter, the analogy I want to give people is if, if you saw the movie Jaws, the classic blockbuster by Steven Spielberg, right? The mayor opens up the beaches, much to the um, chagrin and against the advice of the the sheriff, uh, Roy Schneider's character, right, Brody. Uh, What happens then is that the beaches get open and the sheriffs know that there's a shark in there, uh, but he keeps his mouth shut and a kid dies. This is like Donald Trump saying, oh, we know that the jaws is still in the waters. Just reopen the beach without killing the shark. It's going to be a bloodbath. And I hate making that analogy, but there's no other analogy to make because we have not flattened the curve. Some some states are doing better than others, like New York and California. But other states, just look at the numbers. Florida, the beaches are still open, right? Louisiana, they're already saying, listen, we can't deal with this. Uh, Atlanta, their emergency resources are already like to the limit. New York, overwhelmed. So when once this spreads, and I just read the numbers at the beginning, just fast forward two weeks. In two weeks, we will not have flattened the curve. We're still behind. We are still not invoking all of our powers. We still aren't socially isolating the way we should be. We don't have the resources. And if Donald Trump does reopen the country, and if 90% of Republicans trust Donald Trump, that's what the a poll came out today, that 90% of Republicans, they trust Donald Trump more than any other source, even more than the CDC. That means by trusting Donald Trump and his leadership, 
you will literally be exposing yourself, your loved ones, and your family members to infection. If you get infected, you get sick. If you get sick, you spread it, and people will die. It is a stark analogy. Uh, Abdul, um, so we've, I think, settled here that that Easter deadline seems uh, rather arbitrary. But is there a place that, is there a point on the calendar that public health officials can point to now as to when we might uh, expect to be able to assess whether or not we're making the right kind of progress. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do want to say uh, to, 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 to the last point, though, right, it, to some to some degrees, it's a bit of a moot point because there's very little that um, Donald Trump himself or even the CDC can do. It's not like they've issued a national lockdown and he's going to repeal it. It's all these lockdowns have been at the state and local level, which is good news. And the other point here is also that it's moot because as we start hearing more and more about the way that this COVID epidemic is touching our lives, I mean, I had to say it just yesterday, um, the first person I know personally uh, to die of COVID died. Um, and he was an incredible human being uh, named Marlo in Detroit. And um, and he passed away. And unfortunately, th- this is going to be something we keep hearing about. And, um, and so m- my sense is that even despite what he says and his best optimism, if you're hearing about people that you know um, getting really sick or even worse, dying, my sense is that you're not going to be going out anyway. It may be too little too late, right? Because we know that the best thing we could have done is 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 do what we're doing right now far earlier. But to the point, it's really hard to predict this right now because at this point in our epidemic curve, our uh, curve is steeper than it was at than Italy's. It was steeper than it was in Italy uh, at the same point in the curve. And so, you know, even if we wanted to learn from what happened in other countries and the time frame that it took them to um, to get over the the highest peak in their curve, it doesn't really apply because unfortunately we're so far behind uh, the curve that um, or you know not to want to beat up the metaphor of the curve, but you know we're so far uh, behind in terms of getting off at the jump um, that uh, it's really hard to to really borrow from from any other country's experience. So we've got to be led by the science here, and we've got to be watching um, this curve, and we are only in a position uh, to really get out of um, this this moment of deep and profound social distancing um, when the scientists, not the politicians, the scientists and the public health, health officials tell us that, in fact, it's safe. Abdul, I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Waj, I know you've been really public about your daughter's health challenges. Are you and your family doing okay? Yeah, I mean, we're, we, you know, we are very lucky in the sense that, you know, I married way up. I married a doctor. Uh, my wife's Dr. Sarah Corey, she uh, is brilliant. She's caring. She's been on top of this. Um, my daughter, for those of you who don't know, Nuseba had stage four liver cancer. She's three. She battled to survive. She battled the entire year to live. She had a full liver transplant in September and knock on wood in January. She's cancer free. But like so many Americans, she's immunocompromised, which means uh, you know, her body is still struggling. She doesn't have enough white blood cells. And this coronavirus, the more and more we're learning about it, uh, first and foremost, everyone is vulnerable to it, right? I think there's like this myth that, oh, I'm I'm a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. I'll be fine. Well, if you're listening to the stories, uh, people are being intubated at the age of 12, at the age of 18. Uh, people who have zero uh, previous uh, healthcare uh, problems or who are not immunocompromised like my daughter uh, are, are at the risk of dying, right? And so my daughter is three years old. She is finally, her hair's growing back. She's running around the house right now wearing her princess dress. And I have a baby who's, uh, yeah, every day, she has multiple costume changes every day. Uh, <laughs> so so right now I think there's a there's a Jasmine princess dress. And I got a baby who's four months old. So my wife was preg- pregnant during this entire ordeal, ordeal. And so 
I mean, first and foremost, just as a responsible, I hope, individual, I want to make sure I'm doing my part to flatten the curve. Because another analogy that has been used, and it's a really good one, is if you see like a, a row of matches, you see how a fire just like catches, right? Match after match after match. But if there's one match that is pulled down, the fire doesn't catch. So that one match can keep all the other matches safe. And that's pretty much like another analogy that people should understand is like, oh, I'm just one person and it won't matter. No, even if you're not afflicted with this, because a lot of these, as Abdul will tell you, is it's asymptomatic. You can have coronavirus without even having the symptoms. You can pass it on. If it passes on, it spreads. And then right now, what we know is the people who it really affects, although not exclusively, are elders, people above the age of 60, and people like my daughter, three years old. So David, you know, I was like, at the end of the day, there's a saying in Islam, and I know you got two Muslims, so don't worry, we're not going to make you convert to Islam on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, th- 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 there's a great saying, and, and I just want to share it with people. Tie your camel first, and then put your faith in God, which means do everything you can as humanly possible within your limited powers to do the right thing, and then the rest you leave it in God, right? And so that's what we're trying to do, both as parents of an immunocompromised daughter, and just as citizens. I'm trying to inform people. I'm trying to a social distance. I'm trying to flatten the curve. And I'm trying to do my best to really mitigate this. Because as Abdul says, is we're behind the curve. We can just mitigate it right now. Yeah, there's no doubt. We we each have a role to play here. There, the, it is uh, actually one of the great unifying things uh, in this uh, terrible moment is that we actually each have a role to play here. Waj, Abdul, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks so much. A special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.